War Room, Part 4, Final. I hope many of you have uh, decided to go out and be a part of that film, to watch it. It's great. Amen? How many of you watch War Room? Just raise your hands high if you've watched it. Yeah, several of you. Right. Well, you ought to go. I don't know how long it'll be on, and there's a great movie coming out this month called Woodlawn. It's a story of how the gospel came to Woodlawn High School. Man, Don and I got to see the pastor screening, and it's I want every teenager in America to see it. But anyway, let's get on. I'm not going to be the movie critic or the movie uh, deal here. Look in the very top of your uh, outline there with me this morning. How to pray effectively. We, we've been discussing over these four weeks what it means to be a prayer warrior, how to have a, a war room, how to be a champion for Christ, how to, how to make a difference for the gospel. And uh, so right across the top, I just want you to feel this, and I, I like it. It says, prayer is a dialogue between two people who love each other, God and man. And prayer is much more than words. However, it is an, an expression of the heart towards God. I, I would write around above that an overflow of the heart toward God. It's an experience. It's a relationship. It's not an activity. A lot of times people go, well, uh, prayer is just an activity. I, I guess it could be that, but to me it, it is so much more. It, it is that vibrant union connectedness to God, the God that created us, the God that redeems us, the God that heals us, the God that restores us. I mean, it's just so much more. The, the scripture says, approach the throne of God with confidence, and there you will receive mercy and you'll find grace. So in this series, I, I hope that you've been convicted. I pray that you've been challenged. I pray you've not been condemned. But I pray that you're going, man, I am picking up, I'm elevating, I'm stepping up my prayer life. It's becoming dynamic for once and all. Or maybe it used to be dynamic as a young person and, and I faded away from the disciplines of my spiritual uh, progress in Christ through my prayer life. So I'm back to intercessory. You know, I, I talked about one week, who can pray? Oh, anyone can pray. There's prayer everywhere. But the, the key is the, the prayers that get heard are the ones that walk in faith and obedience to Jesus. Now, we can all have the opportunity to usher up and make petitions and prayers, but if you want them to be heard, if you want them to be answered, if you want them to have meaning and you expect to receive and hear from God, then you've got to come to Christ. You've got to walk in faith, and you've got to believe, and then you've got to do what? You've got to obey him. Like when Jesus speaks to us through his word, and he gives us direct commands and precepts to follow. We go, Lord, I'll do that. So that, that's the way. There's, there's heart attitudes that are conducive to prayer. As I've studied this subject over the decades, I, I'm amazed about how much we know about prayer and how little we know. But one scripture says, if I have regarded iniquity in my heart, God does not hear me. Now, we don't use that word iniquity very much. It's kind of an old school word. It means sin. So if I have cherished sin, I've regarded iniquity in my heart, God doesn't hear me. Now, I want you to hear that clearly before we just run on. You're saying, well, my prayers don't seem to avail much. My prayers don't seem to have much power. I, I want us to stop right there, and I want you to say, God, is there sin in my life? Just ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, search my heart. Psalm 139, and see if there be any hurtful, offensive way within me. And I promise you this, 
you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit will reveal your sin to you. And then we confess that, and we find mercy, and we find forgiveness, and we find grace to approach the throne of grace, and we move on. And you're saying, well, Keith, that is so simplistic, but I just think about, if you were making a cake this afternoon, and you decided to leave out one ingredient, you omitted to put something in, that's what it means to not confess sin. You're omitting something that's critical to the relationship with the Father. And it's a clean heart. God says, I want to give you clean hands and a pure heart. So before I go any farther, I just want us to say, when you go to God, when you talk to him consistently, are you asking the Father, Lord, I messed up. Lord, I blew it. Father, I sinned against you. Father, I did this. Name that sin. You know, these, these little prayers that I've heard through the years, and, I, and I'm guilty of praying them. Oh, God, forgive me for my sins, for they are many. That is a pathetic prayer. <laughs> of course, we're sinners. Only redeemed by the blood of Christ. So God's like, I want you to be specific. Oh, it hurts when you talk to God about your sin. Because you realize the payment that Christ paid that we can have a relationship with him. I hope it pains you. It pains me. I, I wish I would do it less. So I want you to fill in this. Prayer first will be a discipline. Disciplines are needed in life. When you go to school, you have to learn to be a student and to practice disciplines to be a good student. I know occasionally you'll have somebody that has a photographic memory or, or they're just really, really smart and they don't work very hard. But for people like me, you had to work really hard to get what you got. And some of you are like, well, I'm kind of in between or whatever. It's like, well, I'm kind of slow or whatever. It's a discipline. When you go to work out in the gym, you go to run, you go to walk, it takes discipline. Prayer is a discipline. Will you say that with me? Prayer is a discipline. Work hard. I mean, when you go out to work out in the gym or you, or you go to, uh, to be a great student or to do well in a certain academic discipline or you do well in your field of study, you have to discipline yourself. It takes a lot of work to do that. And yet the result is a blessing. And in the prayer life, it's no different. I've thought about how many times I have to discipline myself to pray. Because sometimes, I'm just going ahead and tell you, and I've written a book on prayer. I know a little bit about prayer. Not much, but a little bit. Prayer sometimes can be boring. Prayer sometimes, I'd rather be doing something else. I know you're going, God's going to strike you dead. No, no. I want to be honest. I have long prayer times through the course of a week, sometimes longer than others. I have a pillar in my war room, and I have one at my house that I get on. As I've gotten a little older, I've noticed my knees don't quite feel quite as good as they did at once. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? And that pillar takes some of the comfort, and it, it helps me. And I'll get up, and sometimes if I'm really there a long time, I'll see these big indentions. You know what they call James? They called him camel knees. You know why they called him camel knees? Because he spent so much time in prayer that he developed these tough calluses over his knees. And I'm just wondering, man, do we have any James in here today? Could we have some James? I don't know, but prayer is a discipline. It, 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 it's tough. And listen to this. I've noticed that in a battle, God always seems to be on the side of the army with the heaviest artillery. And the heavy artillery that I've been trying to preach my heart out for for four weeks is prayer. This morning, 
as awesome as the music was, as poor as the message will be, as what, whatever. And whatever we do, the most important thing that we've come to do today is to bless Jesus. But I'm convinced that body life was the exclamation point for this brother this morning. And many of you participated in it. Some of you stood there and watched and sat there and watched. And that's okay. And some of you were doing other things. But I'm telling you, when it's prayer time, it's time to pull in. And those are the ones that win. Oh, they win big. Look at the second one I wrote down. Humble yourself before God. You want to be a prayer warrior? It always comes back to humility. I think it's one of Jesus' favorite distinctive characteristics of a Christ follower. They love and they're humble. And we humble ourselves before the almighty, almighty hand of God. We realize that, God, I'm not doing so well. I need help. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Lord. Come, deliver this boy from the power of sin, from temptation, from whatever. God, come and work. And, and then sometimes we just have a hard time praying effectively. And yet, I'm reminded that when we pray, we have immediate access into the presence of God because of the blood of Christ. There's no busy signals unless there's sin. And we can talk to him, and he can talk freely back to us. Man, when we pray, we need to be confident that God hears us. It's the gateway to him. We have to get rid of these hindrances to unanswered prayer. And the big one is sin that I was talking about or ignoring. Or here's some other hindrances. Unforgiveness. If you or I are walking in unforgiveness this morning, we're not doing ourselves a justice when we pray. If we're walking in bitterness, we need, we need to ask the Lord to take that bitterness from our hearts this morning. I meet people sometimes that they've carried bitterness for 25 years, five years, five days. They don't even remember. They just, it's just a part of who they are. And bitterness, do you know in the scientific world, they show that it produces cancer, produces all kinds of manners of disease. Bitterness will ruin you. Resentment will ruin you and me. Unforgiveness, it blocks us. The other thing about praying effectively, I, I won't talk about it a lot, but I, I shared it the other day. We have to pray God's word. We pray God's word. I'm going to talk about the pray it method in, in a few moments. But one of the things I want to talk to you about praying effectively is that we believe and refuse to doubt when we pray. Fill it in. We believe God. I believe and I don't have any unbelief in my heart. I refuse to waver. I refuse to come down from the wall, as Nehemiah said. But God, I believe that you're the God that can part the waters. You can drive the mountain into the sea. You can heal the leper. You can make the blind to see. And Jesus, you can raise the dead to life. How many believe that Jesus can do anything he wants to do? And when you pray, do you go to him with that kind of confidence? You are the God of heaven. This morning I was reading in Kings about Elijah. And he had some great stories of faith when you read this life of Elijah. And now that great story about when he held the rain back through his prayers. And then when he prayed seven times and then the rain came and there was a drought. I was reading a story about a village in China in 2012 and it was destroying the village. And you know what the people blamed it on? I'm amazed how many times, anytime something goes wrong, we blame it on God or Christians. And they blamed it on the five Christians in this community in China. 
And they went to him, and I don't know if they were talking about taking their lives or whatever, and they said, okay, we are going to pray. And they went into heavy, intercessory, fervent prayer, and God sent the rains. And as a result of that, that particular village, many came to faith. Many considered the claims of Jesus, who he was, because they saw the power of God. And I've just wondered if our church really taps into the impossibilities that God has for us, and we really believe and we don't doubt, would God not do miracles that would be unspeakable? And all you could say was, it was God who did that. Is that a good word for the church? But I, I think we've lost it right now. Father, would you comfort all the people that were affected in Oregon at that university that are grieving today? All the ones that are in South Carolina and on the coast, that are all the damage that's going on. God, would you protect them? God, would you do this? God, would you save the lost? God, would you do this? And then I want you to see this. We need to be persistent in our prayers. It's the most beautiful passage that I know of in the 18th chapter of Luke. Is it going to come up? I think it is. And in the 18th chapter of Luke, it's known as the persistent widow. <laughs> the not-let-go, bulldog, tenacious woman that would just lock on and bug that judge just, I mean, man, she just wore him out. Have you ever been worn out? Wait, do you have kids? Have your kids ever worn you out with a request? Go to the grocery store if you've never seen this. Mama, mama, I want this, I want this, I want that toy, I want that toy. Let me tell you, my kids learn real young. You don't go against mama. Okay, we're getting in the car and leaving right now. I didn't get my Pop-Tart. Forget it. And I've seen other mamas. Oh, precious one, little one, may you have toys, may you have food. And I'm over there trying to pull my belt out and get ready to whip them. No, I, I really do want to sometimes. Sometimes I don't want to be a preacher. Sometimes I just want to go through the things and say, y'all need a whipping. I remember, I, mean, I remember one time I was in a situation and I saw a little boy spit on his mama, on his daddy. Spit on him. And the daddy said, oh, precious one. Oh, my blood pressure. You almost lost your pastor that day. You just don't know. I was stroking. And some of you are saying, this is not a parenting series. It might be for somebody. Be persistent. Look, look at this passage here. There was a judge in a certain city, and he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him and repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. And the judge ignored her for a little while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people. But this woman is driving me crazy. You ought to underline that in your Bible. I love that. She's driving me crazy. Now, this is not a marriage seminar. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant request. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even though he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry to him day and night? We keep putting them off. I don't think so. I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many more will he find that have faith on the earth? Persistence. This woman, I, I, I'm looking at, she's, she, she's a widow. Now let me tell you, we have some widows in our church. 
And some of them are in difficult positions, and some are not, and some have been provided for. But in first century, to be a widow was a very tough, tough thing to be provided, to be cared for. And yet, in here, this widow is going to the judge. So I think, what does she have here? What do we learn about her? She had an adversary. She couldn't solve her own problems. She was persistent. She was crazy. She had a genuine need. She got what she wanted because she wore him out and she kept on. And the father says, that's what I want for my kids. I want you to keep coming. I want you to keep making petitions. I want you to love me that much and believe me for what you're asking and what you request, if it be in my will. But keep coming. And I think somebody's saying, oh, I just, I bail away. I don't, maybe I don't fear God. Here is an unrighteous judge. But he gives in because he's just, he's just getting worn out. He's just like, hey, I'm unwilling. But you know what? The judge is not a good person. The judge basically was selfish. But the judge got worn down and the judge granted the request. But listen, this morning you're going to hear the word good, good father. I've been saying it all morning. There's a reason. You're going to tie it all together. But Abba, Heavenly Father, God, he is He's a loving father, and he loves to give good gifts to his children, to those he loves. How many believe that today? God loves you. Some of you walked in here going, God doesn't love me. Oh, he does. Now, you're mad at him, or he didn't conform to your will, but it's so much greater than your will or my will. But this woman, she kept coming in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, Request, request, request. We make those petitions. Lord, I come to you. I trust you. Persistent. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, was a cry of Bartimaeus. I love that story over in Mark 10. A lot of blind people you find in the life of Jesus when you're reading the scriptures. And sometimes Jesus would get to the village. Well, all the time he'd get there and there'd be all these people. And it'd be these blind people and they'd be crying out. But Bartimaeus, he got heard. I don't know why Bartimaeus got heard. Maybe he had a louder voice than anybody else. Maybe he was screaming. Maybe he was out of his mind. Maybe he was desperate. But what I do know is that Jesus, listen, this is a principle, not in your notes. You ought to write it down. Jesus responds to people that call on him in faith. And are you calling on Jesus? Oh, no, pastor, I'm trusting myself. I'm trusting my ability. How's that working for you? You can get away with it for a season with talent with looks, with whatever. But in the long run of the game, you need Jesus. And you got to say, Lord, I come to you. So this morning, we've had body life, but I'm just wondering, somebody needs a touch of God this morning. You need a touch for your soul, for salvation. You need a touch of healing in your mind, your emotions. You need a touch in your body, because physically you're in bad shape. But Jesus, Jesus, have mercy me jesus would you touch this child but boy when it's your child you don't have a problem praying do you and you just keep crying out for jesus for the healing power of the healer and i love what matthew says ask and it'll be given to you seek and you'll find knock and it will be open for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and him who knocks the door will be open matthew 7 7 and 8 ask seek knock i'll give you another passage i want you to see a little something different i want you to turn over to the 23rd psalm now this is one of my favorite psalms probably for a lot of us 
And I've done a, about a six or eight week series here years ago on a Wednesday night on that. And I want you to go over to the 23rd Psalm and I want you to see this. What a powerful section of Scripture. Of course, you, you, you go to a school, you go to a, go to a funeral, and you, you hear this. And uh, probably the most famous of the Psalms. But here, here's what I want you to do. The, I want to call it the pray it method. And when you're praying the the pure, unadulterated, get heard prayers or scripture. When you learn to personalize scripture, I've said this so many times, but I find like the Lord was telling me this week, I want you to repeat this. There are going to be new people that have never heard this. There are going to be people that have heard it, they've ignored it, but today they're going to choose to personalize the scripture. Here's what I mean by that. You, you worry about Am I reading the Bible? Am I reading it enough? Am I praying enough? So one of the greatest things you can do is read the Word and then begin to pray it back to the Father and put your name and personalize it. Like here we go in Psalm 23. Thank you, Lord, for being my shepherd. Now, the Lord is my shepherd. No, thank you, Lord, for being my shepherd. It, it's very personal. Thank you for making me to lie down in green pastures. Let's stop there. God will have his way. And God lays people down sometimes to get their attention. Have you ever thought about that? Sometimes when people are sick and ill and bedridden, a lot of times I think it's part of the psalm. God lies them down that he might restore their soul, that he might speak to them. A lot of times when we're running and we're running and we're running and we give out, I'm thinking, the Lord is my shepherd, and he makes me to lie down. Thank you for leading me beside the quiet waters, and thank you for restoring my soul. See how the, all the emphasis just changes that whole psalm? And this morning, I'm just wondering, where are you at? And, and you're praying effectively. Lord, I want to read Scripture now, very personal for me. I, I want to internalize it. I want to pray it back to you. I want to give great honor to you, Lord. I, 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 you, sometimes you're going to force me to do this. You're going to lead me down the right path. Lord, you're a mighty God. You're effective. You're holy, Lord. But, but then sometimes people pray this. Lord, I want to rob Regions Bank in Jesus' name. Now, if I prayed that prayer one Sunday morning, I kind of go, Lord, I plan to go down here and rob Costco in the name of Jesus with the army of God. You're like... What? That, I know that, that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Now, I hope regions or Costco doesn't get robbed because I was not there, okay? But that's not in the will of God. I mean, that's stealing and all these other things. Like, man, that's just dumb prayer. We pray some prayers that are about as dumb as the one I just illustrated, like the one that you love to pray. I've shared this for years, but I still think it's the stupidest prayer I've ever heard, and I run from it when I hear it because it's just... Okay, I'm going to be nice. I sit down with a plate of Krispy Kreme donuts and I go, God, bless this to the nourishment of my body. There is nothing nourishing in a Krispy Kreme. You might go in a diabetic coma when you finish in Jesus' name. You, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's just a dumb prayer. But when you pray scriptural prayers, now those get heard. I know some of you are like, that's what I'm getting for lunch, donuts. Okay, well, all right, well, go for it. I mean, that's not very smart. All right. You know what God tells us to pray for, though? I'll give you this. Wisdom, James 1, 5, write it down. If any man lacks wisdom, he should call upon God because God gives liberally without reproach to those that ask him. 
The New King James changes it up a little bit. But God just says, hey, I want you to pray for wisdom. Another thing is, you pray for provision. Father, I'm asking you to make provision for me and my family. My God shall supply all your needs according to his greatest and his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 19. Here's one Psalm 91, 5 through 7. You pray for protection. I pray that one all the time. I pray protection over my wife, my kids, my grandkids. I pray protection over you. We have a financial partner in our church that's only attended here one time. They, they live in another state. And he calls me every so often to say, would you pray we have travels? And I, I pray fervently. I, I tell you, they're a great financial partner for Christ Community Church. and I'm grateful for this family. But they, they want this protection thing. They're, they're into that. And I, I wish, you know, just people all across America go, hey, well, y'all pray for my protection. We'll send a check. We'll pray for it. No, but, but the bottom line is, no, you pray for protection because it's God's will. And he encamps his angels around those that trust him. And then here's another one, Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. We pray for power to meet the challenges of life. Does anybody have a challenge coming up this week? Whose power are you going to face that in? Well, I was thinking about doing it in mine, but, you know, you're making me sound like that's kind of stupid. You're learning. That's good. It is stupid. Listen to this. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Incomparably, the great power of God. He promises to the children of God that ask him for it. But you're saying, all right, pastor, you've been preaching, you've been hammering this thing on prayer. Can I say this? Knowing is not doing. I know a lot of stuff that I choose not to do. It's called stupidity, but I, I do it. And knowing is not doing. I could encourage you to go, I could give you, I could give you 250 prayer book titles easily. And you could go out and buy 100 of them. And go, Pastor, I got them. And they're sitting on the shelf. Woo, that's impressive. And then, because here's what I, I, I laugh as pastor. People come to my office all the time. They go, have you read these? No, I went to some book sales, and I just thought they'd make me look smart. Well, I'm not going to tell you I've read them, every one of them cover to cover. Some of them are research and resources and stuff. But I've read hundreds or thousands of books. And I read, but, but it doesn't make you like, oh, you have knowledge. Big deal. Are you a practitioner? Do you practice prayer? See, I've been telling you all these principles for four weeks about prayer. But then God's like, but are you praying? Are, are you participating? Because then when you, when you do something about it, then, man, then you're on a great place. Let's move to this next section. Now, I want to talk about intercessory, but I need to move on because I want you to see this. Four ways to pray for friends and family. All the time people ask me, about lost loved ones coming to faith in Christ and why their family didn't come to Christ and what do they have to do? And I have no magic bullets, but I do have some principles that I'd like to share that I think are important for our time together because I want, I want you to not be shocked when God saves that person you've been praying for. Howard Hendricks, the great professor at Dallas Theological Seminary when he was living, says, I have an incurable confidence in God's ability to change lives. And I've gone on to think, you know, I have an incurable confidence in God's ability to save. It is God's will that he should save mankind. It is God's will that he would woo people, that he would draw them into his presence, into his power, that he is able to save. He is mighty to save. He, his desire is to show mercy to those that will seek him. 
That's the heart of God. And I'm like, God, you're, you're, you're awesome. So you woo people into the kingdom. Now, that's a little bit of my Wesleyan theology, but I can tell you it's rich that, that God woos you. He pursues you. Matter of fact, here's probably the best one I've got right now. Will has been wooing my daughter. He's been, Will, love you, throw you under the bus, but it makes sense. And, 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 and Will loves her, and she loves him, and he pursued her, and he wooed her. And, and she, yeah, she said yes, and all this, you know, it's, all, it's awesome, okay? So you understand it now. You're like, oh, and you're looking at your wife going, ooh, I wooed you, baby. She's like, yeah, I know. What happened? Okay, here it is. Here it is. Here. Hold, hold, hold on. Hold on. I don't have any marriage problems yet. Okay. God woos you. God pursues you. Here it is. God is an initiator. Are you glad that God initiates? You're saying, I found the Lord. No, you didn't. He, first of all, he wasn't lost. And he knew exactly where you were. He knew what sin pile you were in. You just finally turned your heart toward him. I remember the night he wooed me at Troy University as a 19-year-old, crazy, cocky, arrogant, long hair. That's a cool thought. Brown-haired student. Pursued me. And grace arrested me. That was a good night. Didn't know what it was all about. Anyway, let's get 1 Timothy 1.15. Let me just give you this. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners. And he goes on to say, and I am the worst of them all. You know what I've learned about prayer? Passionless people change nothing. If you are passionless, prayerlessness, you will not change your world or your community or your life. But people that just are fueled by a passion for Jesus, they change their world. Christ changes our hearts. Man, I could talk about this forever. Here it is. Let me give you four ways to pray for friends and family, and i got to get there. Pray for an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Just ask God to give you an opportunity to talk about him. Colossians 4.3, the Scripture says, and pray for us too, that God may open the door for our message so that you may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chain. So you're concerned about your loved ones, continually pray and ask God for an opportunity, for his opportunity, for a divine appointment to not. Secondly, pray for God to prepare their hearts. Probably the most important. Lord, I'm just a talking gong without you, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, would you prepare my daddy's heart? Would you prepare my mama's heart? Would you prepare my wife or my husband's heart? Would you prepare my son and my daughter's heart to receive Jesus? God, would you prepare my boss to receive the gospel? I, I believe it all comes back to prayer. Third, pray for God to burden your heart, that you burn with passion to see your lost relatives saved, to see your lost friends in the kingdom. That should be our burning passion. Howard Hendricks, when I read about him, he prayed for 40 years for his father, great seminary professor, professor, teacher. For 40 years he prayed, and he walked into his class one day. He says, I want you all to know, God has just answered my number one prayer in my life. He has just redeemed my dad after 40 years of intercession. Wow, and you're going, he was a holy man. <laughs> That's okay. We still got free will, and he had to choose Christ. Fourth, pray that God's word will simply take off. <laughs> I like that. God's word will... Look, look at this verse on the screen. 
One more thing, friends. Pray for us. Pray that the Master's word simply take off and race through the country to a groundswell of response. Do you, have you ever seen that before? Just the word take off. The word become life to somebody. That's what happens when we get redeemed. So it's time to pray, church. It's time to act on what Christ has for us. And then I'm moving to this. Here's what I want to end on today. I'm going to invite the team to come on up as I'm making these final comments about the overwhelming faithfulness of God. He wants to become so much more. The Bible says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He's our Father. He's a loving Father. He's so much bigger than the stuff that I have to deal with. He's a loving Father. And some of you this morning already know, you think God is withholding. You think he is distant. You think he is not a good God. Maybe you were abused, and I am sorry for that. I don't know what your concept of God is, but God is working even in this moment to make us holy, to set us apart for his purpose, to conform us. There's a quote that's going to come up by Tim Keller, a prolific writer, and he says, God, being a good father, tries to give us what we would have if we asked for what we knew everything. Let me say it again. God, being a good father, tries to give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knew. We are not God. He is. He knows. He is a good, perfect, loving father. In this song, I heard this song this summer at the Willow Creek Leadership Summit. I was so moved that I, I recorded it that day. And I just, sometimes I get by myself and I just play it. It just downloads in my soul. And I started talking to Hannah and I started talking to Jeff. I said, we got to do this song. I, I want to finish the series with Good Father. So I'm going to beg you not to leave. I think God could transform some hearts right now on the power of this song. See, sometimes I just need a song. Do I have a witness? Sometimes I just need a song. Sometimes I just need a scripture. Sometimes I just need whatever. But this morning, I'm praying that this song might speak to your heart about the consistency and the faithfulness of him. The last blank. I am his son, his daughter, and he is my Abba. In the Aramaic, he is Abba. He is daddy. So right now, I just want you to sit there. Or you can get out of your chair and kneel. You can come to this altar. But I just want you to receive from God right now. Good, good father. That's who you are. Speak to our hearts, Jesus. Amen.